Guess what, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to exclusive bonus audio content and help this program grow by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com support. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Yeah, what's up, my funky chunky monkeys? Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 29, which of course means that you can find this at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL29 for all the show notes from this week's show. And at the top of the show, I also want to give a shout out to martinarmory.com. Guys, make sure you do check that out. They have got a fantastic selection of firearms, including pistols, shotguns. I mean, basically anything you would want, but within the top 25 guns that people like to buy. That allows them to offer you some crazy, truly insane discounts. So please check them out if you are in the market for a firearm. And hey, why wouldn't you be? We all love guns. And don't forget, use the code LIONS if you want to get some free shipping on whatever orders you're going to put in there. Now then, guys, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to get a little pissed off during this show. I I had some interactions on the old tweeter box, and it was in regards to Obamacare being quote-unquote stabilized. Now, you can follow me, by the way, if you're interested, on Twitter, at Brian McWilliams, and of course, follow at Lions of Liberty as well. But I just, you know, I, I took umbrage at this one woman's tweet in which she was tweeting at Rand Paul. And uh, to be honest, I don't even know how the hell I ended up following this woman on Twitter. Maybe I was just following her because I was so surprised at her idiocy. Maybe she had written something interesting in the past and I threw her a follow by accident. I don't know. Maybe I was having a seizure, just randomly hitting keys on my computer and (laughs) happened to hit follow on the Twitter. I don't know. But anyway, I'm not going to give you her name. Uh, It's not important. But she was tweeting at Rand, basically saying that Rand Paul is a liar and that Obamacare isn't falling apart and collapsing, as we all have seen it to be, but uh, but instead is stabilized. And the reason she was saying this is because there was an article in The Hill, and it's been, it's been quoted in a couple other publications, basically saying that the market is quote-unquote stabilizing due to the fact that Insurers are losing slightly less money, and I looked into this. This is this is basically what the what the uh, <laughs> what the assessment is saying. They have uh, they're they're losing less money, so instead of you know paying out eighty eight percent of their revenues or whatever, they're not only paying out seventy five percent, so thirty percent drop, which is yeah that's great, but still they're losing money. And let's also remember that they're losing money on top of being paid billions and billions of dollars in subsidies from you and me and all of our other friends here in the old U.S. of A. Because as Trump pointed out, they've been getting payments to cover what they were, you know, basically the government assured them. They said, okay, you know, if you're going to, if you go in on these Obamacare exchanges, what we're going to do is we're going to give you massive payouts to cover your losses at the expense of the taxpayer. So, you know, this is crony capitalism at its worst because you've got Companies that are losing money willfully to go along with a government scheme that we all know is insolvent and has proven to be insolvent over the past few years, as we've seen companies, the insurers that basically, they, they, I mean, how crazy is it, by the way? We're giving them billions of dollars from our government, yet these companies still are like, you know what? This is too crazy. We can't make it work. The money you're giving us, the billions of dollars that you're dishing out to this industry is still not enough to keep us in business. I can't think of a single business I could start where the government, if they give me a billion dollars, where I could just blow that money and not at least in some way, shape, or form make a profit unless the business I was running was called Brian Bleeds Money. Or maybe a business where I just eat money. Like there's no other, there's no way you can lose that much money. But they found a way to do it and it's called Obamacare. Because as I've discussed in this show before, it's 
on its face insolvent. You can't possibly create a risk pool that's going to make sense to cover all these people that have extremely expensive pre-existing conditions, that have cancer, that have uh, heart conditions, that have these rare, super rare diseases in which they are hospitalized for X amount of years to the tunes of $3 million and have any insurer logically cover those people while at the same time not requiring every single man, woman, and child to buy at least a reasonably expensive healthcare plan to cover the the costs. There's no way to do it. And (laughs) the government has been paying these people out to try to cover those costs, hasn't worked, so they're pulling out. I was just recently reading about a, uh, I think there's like something like four or five states that have basically no insurers. There's many others that have one insurer left because everybody else is pulled out of the exchanges because it just will not work for them. And then this woman, though, and this study is saying that it's stabilized. What does that even mean? Is stabilized in today's world basically just losing money slower than it used to lose money? And they even cited they had the gall in this one article I read. Again, I'll, I'll link to this this story in uh, at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL29. But they had a, the gall to cite as well in the story that one of the reasons that it was stabilized was because in Florida, in one of the exchanges, a couple of insurers were considering coming back on board. They were considering entry. They haven't even done it yet, but you know, they were kind of thinking about it. Maybe, maybe they would come back in to that specific market. I mean, I, I don't understand how anybody can live in a reality wherein Obamacare makes sense. I, you know, I do understand. I understand it because it's people who are completely ignorant of the basics of economics, of the basics of supply and demand, of the basics of how things actually work in a market, even when it is so bastardized like healthcare is, there is still a basic economics in place where you cannot have people over-annexing on services and costs and money pay less than people that are under-annexing on all of those services. And that's what's happening in a lot of these cases. And for this woman, she had the... (laughs) I swear to God, I had all these idiots retweeting and liking. She tweeted back at me, this woman this Hill story and saying, you know what? You just don't know anything and linking to this Hill article, which I immediately do. I mean, it took me literally opening it, scanning it five seconds to respond to her and debunk it. Where were, where were the likes? Where were the retweets on that? (laughs) Basically saying what I just told you people that I don't consider a stabilization, uh, having insurance companies losing slightly less money on top of record-setting premium increases, which again, in 2016, 25% was the national average. In Arizona, uh, increases were over three digits for people. Many people, most people had double-digit increases. I said 25, 26%. My insurance went up about 25, 26% personally. So you've got both of those things. And then you've also got the fact that we're giving billions and billions and billions of dollars to insurance companies coming out of taxpayer money. So it's like we're being double taxed. It is double taxation because not only are we being market taxed because of government interference in our healthcare system, but we're also being taxed on top of that because they are spending all their tax dollars that they're ripping away from us at gunpoint and giving them to insurance companies in this crony capitalist scheme. But you know what? Don't tell that woman this because I'm the asshole here. According to all these people, I'm the asshole. I don't know what I'm talking about. But, you know, this this gal who read four sentences in a Hill story, um, she's she's got it all figured out. Just, oh, man, pissed me off. And you know what? Worst part was eating lunch at the time. So I got I got a a half of a Charlie. It was terrible. Uh, it's from this place called Charlie Sub or Charlie Kebab or something. Terrible, like ranch chicken sub and fries that weren't great. I'm eating this. I'm eating this sandwich, and I'm so angry. I'm already angry about my sandwich choice, you know. And I'm texting at this woman, I'm just bitter. Just just imagine a guy. Have you ever walked into a mall? <laughs> I had a mall too, because my wife's birthday is coming up. 
So I was going shopping for cards and stuff. So if you ever see a guy just angrily tearing into a sub and he looks like the sub with derision and then he's texting it to his phone just the same, just, oh, just so mad. That was me. (laughs) You know why? That's probably, you probably saw the same thing. Probably the same people. Maybe some of maybe if you saw an, an angry Native American man with the same look on his face, angrily texting into a phone. By the way, he was texting at me, or he was tweeting at me because I, I shit you not, I got uh, I got tweeted at by like some old Native American, like Iron Bear. Reverend Iron Bear or something like that, saying that it was all the GOP's fault that Obamacare was falling apart. And I'm just like, guy, you clearly do not get it. Like, you are living in a fantasy land, you know, saying that they were involved and that the markets were destabilized because the GOP is talking about defunding it. I'm like, no, buddy, no. You don't need the GOP could say whatever they want. The economics are the economics. People are either going to sign up and use this insurance program and they're going to destabilize it themselves because as I said, there's no possible way to sustain this or they're not, or it's going to succeed or it's going to fail. The GOP going, Hey, watch out. We're, we might repeal this someday if we get around to it, but not till after 2018. Cause none of us want to get booted out of office by pissed off poor people to actually think that has anything to do with insurance companies pulling out of the exchange and with these exchanges failing and with the increased cost of premiums. You're fucking crazy. So go back to the smoke shack. Smoke the peace pipe. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. All right. Let's move on to another story. Enough of my ranting and ravings about uh, Obamacare and uh, Native Americans tweeting at me. So uh, in Minnesota, there's been a, a story everybody's talking about. But in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, there was this crazy story that just came out a couple days ago. And essentially what happened was that the cops were called to an apartment complex because of a domestic disturbance. And it was called in by neighbors, specifically called in by a neighbor named Julie Damond, who is a 40-year-old Australian gal living in Minnesota. And she had called to report a possible assault occurring in an, occurring in an alley near her home. So the cops pull in. And she runs down there in her pajamas, goes to the driver's side door of the responding squad car, and she's talking to the officer driving. And then according to three different sources, the passenger cop, whose name was Noor, Officer Noor, is a Somali immigrant. Not that that matters, by the way. But this guy, Noor, apparently shot across his partner from the passenger seat through the car door and killed this woman. As of now, we have no idea why. There's still been no official explanation as to why this woman was shot, as to what could have possibly caused her to be shot. I mean, again, and she was talking to him for a couple minutes. They said it wasn't like she ran down and he got scared and shot. No, she was talking to them for a couple minutes in her pajamas. And she was the one that called in this domestic disturbance report. So she's clearly not the one in the alley uh, trying to finger bang anybody or do anything too crazy. She's there trying to explain, oh, well, something happened. It was down there. So I called you and get shot. And again, if you're a cop, what kind of training dictates that you pull your gun out? Now, I don't you know. I don't, no matter what this woman said, and she did not have it. She was unarmed, completely unarmed at the time. I'm going to make that clear as well. Totally unarmed. That you pull out your gun and shoot it across your partner to kill this woman. I mean, I've been I've been noodling it. The only thing I can think of is that maybe it's something where he was cleaning it ahead of time when she came up and it accidentally went off. But even then, why is your gun not holstered in the car? And you're like, why is your gun just out? Uh, did he take it out when they pulled it to the alleyway and then accidentally shot her? Did he? I mean, it just none of it makes sense. And here's the cherry on top of this Sunday. They were required. You're required to wear body cameras, by the way. The cops in this in the city required to both wear body cameras. Yet both body cameras are turned off at the time. So clearly very effective if the body cameras are turned off. Right. So there's no body camera footage to show us what happened either. 
I mean, I don't really know what else to add to this situation. I, I don't know what other insight I could give. There just aren't enough facts out right now other than to say that no matter what the scenario here, it seems like there's a training breakdown. Again, this is just like the Philander Castile thing where officers are reacting with uh, an unnecessary amount of force because they're clearly unable to handle situations. Now, again, I don't know what happened here, but this is an inexcusable circumstance. There's no way this should have happened. It should be impossible to have something like this occur. So anyway, something to monitor as we move forward. We'll see how this works out. All right, next story I want to get to, guys. Let's talk about something that is a little bit, it's not even lighthearted, but it's a little bit goofy, so it's slightly upbeat, but I do want to talk about PETA. And this story was shared in our forum, and I'm not going to give a shout out to the guy because I don't know if he wants that or not, but it was shared in our Lions of Liberty forum, which guys you can go and find. Go to Facebook, type in Lions of Liberty forum. It'll pop right up. If you're not too nutty, we will let you in. And... And just remember, you know, compose yourself, uh, handle yourself with decor in there, please. But the story is posted wherein PETA has essentially ruined a photographer's life. Why, you might ask? What is he doing? What did he did he go and slay a snow leopard and wear its fur around in Central Park, you know, proclaiming himself to be king of the Neanderthals? No. Nothing like that. Nothing, no animal abuse occurred. He didn't even eat a, you know, a blade of grass that had displaced a, a moon bat or anything like that. What ended up happening in this story was that a guy took a trip to Indonesia, photographer. He figured out by interacting with the monkeys for a fairly good length of time, spent some time with these, these native monkeys in the forest and taught them how to use the camera to take selfies. So what they would do is he would go away, he'd watch it remotely via a wireless connection, and the monkeys would play with the camera. He taught them how to take a picture, keep their eyes open, press the shutter button. So they started doing it. They started making these really fun, funny, interesting monkey selfies. And they got big pickup. You know, they got picked up at a couple of different news sites. Wikipedia picked it up. And the guys, you know, wrote to Wikipedia and saying, hey, by the way, I have copyright on these photos. You need to take them down or you need to compensate for me. You know, I, I spent a lot of money on this trip. Uh, I'd like to have compensation if you're going to use them because they're generating a lot of traffic. So Wikipedia responded that they weren't going to take them down because they felt that it was the monkey that took the picture and the monkey had copyright. So they don't have to do anything to anybody, which in my opinion is a pretty douchey move for Wikipedia. But regardless, the guy goes, all right, well, that's ridiculous. But unfortunately for him, PETA gets a hold of this. They hear this this story, this monkey and this Wikipedia ongoing uh, kind of dispute. And they decide that they are going to sue this photographer whose name is David <laughs> Slater. Sorry, I had to find the name in my brain there. David Slater. They're going to sue him on behalf of the macaque, which is not the monkey's formal name by you. That's the, I guess you call these things. And I think I'm saying that right. Which they identify as a six-year-old male named Naruto. And they claim that the animal was the rightful owner of the copyright. Now, in 2016, a judge ruled against PETA, saying that animals were not covered by the Copyright Act, which I agree with. There's no way in hell a monkey owns its own photo photography, even though it's taken with someone else's camera, that they were taught to do that exact thing with said camera, and probably compensated. Because let's be honest, monkeys ain't doing shit unless you give them something in return. So the monkey, I would say if we're going deep into this, was fairly compensated for that photo in the way of bananas or cherries or I don't even know, monkey sexual favors, whatever you want to get into. The monkey was compensated. But PETA don't see it that way. So instead of just saying, okay, well, this is ridiculous. We already lost the court once. We already have spent a lot of money on this completely moronic lawsuit. They have decided to appeal to the Ninth Circuit Court, which heard oral arguments last Wednesday. Now, if you're familiar with the Ninth Circuit Court, they are notoriously known as the most liberal slash progressive slash asshole, justice ignoring, biased pieces of dog shit that have ever graced a courtroom. So this actually has a shot there. And it's no coincidence that this is where PETA is taking this case. Absolutely no coincidence because they know that these people it's in San Francisco, of course, uh, they know that these people will actually have a half-decent chance of saying, oh, yeah, that monkey's got uh, got rights to that picture. 
You got to turn that over. Then Monkey's got hella rights to that picture, which is where hella originated in the San Francisco Bay Area. So that's one more reason to hate San Francisco. But anyway, so you know, you got this Ninth Circuit Court doing this. And meanwhile, this poor photographer, or all he wanted to do, he, he, he found something really interesting, brought a lot of people joy, spent a lot of time, spent a lot of money trying to achieve this. Now he's totally broke. They eventually he spent so much money fighting lawsuits, trying to get trying to number one, get compensated for his photo, and number two, fighting off PETA's suit against him, trying to get money for this monkey. I guess they're saying that the money's gonna go and they're gonna give it to the monkey, and the monkey, they're gonna use it to to do monkey things. They're gonna put in new tire swings or whatever the hell they're gonna do. Just, just ridiculous. Ridiculous. So that's what that's what PETA's planning. And here's what I really just overall can't stand about PETA is that you've got this organization that all these celebrities flock to, right? And this is the kind of idiotic stuff that they're pulling off. They're spending all this money that's supposed to go be going towards helping animals. That's what it, the ethical treatment of animals. I'm sorry, is this monkey suffering from an ethical grievance because a man's making a couple thousand dollars off a photo, a selfie this monkey took and the monkey is completely unaware of? If a tree falls in the woods, is essentially my argument here. This monkey has no concept of what's going on. So I don't think the monkey's going to be too upset when he doesn't get compensated. So Peter's going to spend all this money, instead of keeping its kill shelters open, which also, by the way, if you're not familiar with this story, Peter also kills an extraordinarily high amount of its animals. Way beyond your local, your local shelters do. Way beyond our local LA shelter down the street here. They kill them faster. They kill them far more often. And they have a habit of going around to people's houses, gorilla style, taking dogs out of their yard or taking them out off a post or out of a backyard, taking them to their shelter because they feel like this animal is not being given a good enough home, even when the, the pets are perfectly healthy. They keep them there for a couple of days and then they kill them because nobody took them home. And because they continuously go to people's houses and are continuously going and stealing dogs and picking up these dogs, they have way too many dogs. So they're constantly murdering them. And yet you've got stupid dickheads like Pam Anderson and like all these other idiots who go and they go, oh, I'm getting naked for PETA because I don't like people wearing fur. And it's like nobody wears fur much anymore anyway, girls. All you're doing is supporting a regimen of murder and extortion. And that's what they're doing. They go after these people who barely have any money to begin with. They make these ridiculous causes. They latch on to things like wheat threshers killing mice and other stuff in the, along these lines where it's like so many logic leads. You have to go down so far in the rabbit hole of thought to get to this point where you're completely disconnected from reality. And that's what PETA is. And yet all these people keep globbing on to it. They, you see these stupid PETA posers where they're naked. You see people still go out and march and they join PETA and they give PETA money because they're ignorant and they have no idea what they're supporting. It's an embarrassment. It's like people donating to Bernie Sanders. You should be embarrassed if you donate to Bernie Sanders. Oh, God. So, anywho, that's my PETA rant. PETA is a disease. They are quite literally the worst of progressive humanity, other than the Ninth Circuit Court, which also is right up there. So, again, we'll keep track of the story as it's coming. I don't know what's going to shake out. I'm praying that they dismiss this because it's so idiotic. And if this thing, this is like a landmark case. If they win this, PETA is going to continue to do this kind of kind of dumb shit. Keep clogging up the legislation body. Keep going after people that really are just trying to have fun. And it's just like, where does it end? I'm a person that believes that animals do have rights, but that's more of a right to not be abused. That's a right to not be shot by a cop when you're in the front yard. That's a right that somebody can't cut your goddamn ears off, like a picture I saw on the internet, and made me want to just go find these people and tear their skin off, rip their faces off of their heads, and then just poke my thumbs into their eyeballs. And I apologize for getting very graphic here, but this photo was so disturbing. It was quite literally two kids cut the ears off a living dog, and that was it. And then they took a photo with it. Absolutely sickening. So in regards to that, I believe that the basic rights of an animal, that do, those do exist. That animal has a right to not be abused. And PETA is even violating that by taking these animals and then killing them. All right. <laughs> I hate to toss it into our sponsor at this point, but I'm going to throw it to our sponsor right now. So hopefully you can visit martinarmy.com, get yourself a gun to defend yourself, defend your animal, defend your property in case PETA comes to steal your beloved Poochie.
I firmly believe one of the most important things you can do to protect yourself and your loved ones is to own a firearm. But for a lot of people, buying a gun can be an overwhelming process. There are just so many options, and not everyone feels comfortable walking into a gun store. Well, our friends at martinarmory.com are doing their part to change that. Martin Armory was founded with a simple goal, to make buying a gun simple and affordable. Instead of carrying thousands of different guns, martinarmory.com only carries 25. This allows them to focus on providing the most popular guns on the market at insanely cheap prices. And now for a limited time, their prices are even more insane as martinarmory.com is offering Lions of Liberty listeners free shipping. Simply go to martinarmory.com, pick an awesome gun, and enter the promo code LIONS. Again, that's martinarmory.com. The promo code is LIONS. All right, and we're back in. Welcome, welcome. Now, coming out of break, I want to talk about California extending cap and trade. Because, like I said, it's going to be a very angry show. Everything on the show has made me very angry. So cap and trade is one of those things that really pisses me off. Because California is taking this forerunning spot. And this is a complete ego thing, by the way, for, for Jerry Brown and all of the other legislators here. So they're saying, okay, well, we, we're, we're going to be a real forefront. We're going to be a, a forerunner for, for global change. And blah, blah, blah. We're going to go and meet with Paris. And we're going to pledge our own thing, even though Trump pulled out of the Paris Accords. Which is what uh, everybody in California sounds like, by the way. <laughs> More or less. High-pitched voices, very whiny. So, cap and trade, they extend this ridiculous... <laughs> law, wherein they cap the amount of emissions that you're supposed to be able to uh, to emit as a quote-unquote polluter. And remember, by the way, California has a lot of oil industry here, too, which is funny because there's all sorts of exemptions and crony capitalism built into this, which the progressives don't like to know about. They don't like to see these things, but it's built in there. So their precious, uh, you know, they, their precious little funds that they like to go after the, the solar and the wind farms and all these other little pet projects, funding a new bus for the kids, a new electric bus for the local school district. That crap all gets paid for because cap and trade gives loopholes to the oil companies, but goes after other people that they say are polluting, like the smaller industries, which then pass it along directly to consumers like you and me. So essentially, cap and trade has existed here for a little while, and it was set to expire in 2020. At the current levels, cap and trade charges companies $20 per ton of carbon, essentially. And that ranges up to $30 at some point, too. But under this new cap and trade legislation, they are going to increase that amount. So now it's something like, I think it starts, stays at 30, but then by the end of this, whatever the term limit is, you know, next 10, 15 years, I think it's maybe 2030, they extended it to another 10 years, but it's going up to $120 per ton of carbon. Now, remember, this is already in a state that is the most unaffordable as far as housing in the entire country. We have the highest average cost for housing at $500,000. Average for a house in this state. So a point where there's all sorts of articles finally being written about it, about the crisis that's that's been going on with housing in California. And thank God, people are actually starting to pay attention to the fact that it's caused by government interference, that it's caused by local governments getting in the way of buildings, that it's caused by federal and state governments getting in the way and requiring people to put in low-income housing units, which then deter, you know, people don't want to build those because they say, well, why would I build this here when I have to put in low-income housing and I'm going to lose 30% of my apartment space that I'm creating here? Instead, I'm going to build it somewhere else. And that's on top of the environmental restrictions and the regulations there and all the different bills and all the different permits and all the red tape that exists, which basically makes building in Los Angeles or California as a whole very difficult and people don't want to do it. So we've got a big housing crisis here. And that's on top of, by the way, the fact that we also have incredibly high taxes here. <laughs> so we've got a perfect storm of incredibly high taxes, a population density that's getting it's increasing every single day and you've got a massive housing crisis. So on top of this, now they're going to put cap and trade into place. So on top of this, they're going to harm businesses. They're going to hurt the local economy because this is going to impact the ways businesses can operate, especially smaller businesses. And it's going to stymie entrepreneurs, unless you're in one of the, the preordained magically destined industries that they want to support. So again, this is government deciding winners and losers by force. 
And I've talked about this before. It, it, nothing bothers me more than the government's trying to legislate out of something, like trying to force people to adopt measures. And in the meantime, while they're forcing these companies to adopt these measures, they are hurting everybody else. I already can't afford to buy a house here. Not the way it is right now. Because everything around me has just increased astronomically over the past few years. Like, I mean, it literally tenfold in the past 20 years. $200,000 houses are now $2 million houses. I've seen it three blocks from me. Ramshackle teardowns. And now we're going to make it even more expensive to live here. And it got passed, no problem, unanimously by representatives in the government here. How exactly is this advocating for anybody in this state to push this through? I know you've got a lot of tree-hugging liberal fuckballs who are going out of their way to say, we've got we've to make a statement. We have to show the world how it's done. But you know what happens? The people that are advocating for that are either way too poor to buy a house or really live here. So those are the people that are still pie in the sky. They just got out of college. They just came down from Berkeley. They still don't know what the fuck is going on. So they can be, oh my God, this is so great. It's just all for humanity and all for the earth and not give a shit about how it actually impacts business or local communities or everyday people's lives because they're not to the point yet where it impacts them. Then you've got the other people to advocate for it that have even more power. These are the people that are high up in the entertainment industry. These are the people that are already rich. These are the, the old school California progressives that have grown up here and have seen their net worth increase 10 times over just because they happened to live in the house that they lived in and they didn't sell it before this massive housing crisis happened. So congratulations and thank you to those people as well. Because they've also been complicit in stymieing the building of new houses. And Tom Woods, by the way, did a lot of excellent episodes on this, talking about the impact of regulations. So check out again, Tom Woods, if you don't know who he is, shame on you. But check out some of his podcasts. He did some recently talking about studies, basically the impact of regulation and the impact of all the red tape that's enforced in California is something like it's doubled the cost of building a new house here. It should cost, you know, $250,000 to build a house here. Instead, it costs $500,000 because of all the regulation you have to go through. It is pure madness. And what I love best of all, too, is this cap and trade. They're like, oh, no, you know what? All the money we get from cap and trade, we know what? We're considering a rebate for Californians. Oh, really? You're considering a rebate? You're going to send me back how much of the money that it's going to cost me to stay here? How much? How much are you going to send me back to $300,000 so I can buy a house? I don't think so. I think I'll probably get maybe $12 per person per Californian. That probably sounds more likely, if at all. Because they just increased the gas tax. Was the last time you heard me get really pissed off? You know, it's a theme. I get really pissed off when they do stuff in my home state that I just think is so idiotic. And all these people just clap. They just, they just clap like circus seals for the environment. Environment! 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 Fucking idiots. Sorry, getting back to the point. They just increased the gas tax here. And that, of course, yeah, I told you before, they increased the gas tax, something like, you know, 20 cents or something like that. And... Of the money that's supposed to go to fixing our crumbling infrastructure here, we have some of the worst roads in the country. The worst. We have the highest gas tax. Something like 12% of the money collected, all of which is supposed to be going into transportation projects and fixing this stuff. Something like $1 billion actually does. Meanwhile, we've got rail programs that are 600% over budget. And also, oh, yeah, by the way, this new program, this uh, this new cap and trade, oh, it's going to help fund that same rail program, that high-speed rail that's, uh, again, you know, 18 years behind and, and $400,000 over, over budget already. Just the whole thing is just, it's such a joke. And people just, they blindly support it. Because you slap environmentalism on anything here and people will blindly support it. Education and environment. That's it. All right, moving on here. <laughs> Can I calm myself down? I'm not even, not even drinking. Can you imagine? I need to, and just to balance me out in some bourbon. All right, let's talk about something else that's going to make me mad. How about Jeff Sessions vowing to increase asset forfeiture? Everybody, that's always a great one, right? Good old Jeff Sessions. 
He was at some conference or other this week, and he said, quote, we hope to issue this week a new directive on asset forfeiture, especially for drug traffickers. Because Jeffy Sessions loves busting him some drug traffickers. We know that we know that only bad people use drugs, according to Jeff Sessions. With care and professionalism, we plan to develop policies to increase forfeitures. I should read this like Jeff Sessions in my Jeff Sessions voice. No criminal should be allowed to keep the proceeds of their crime. Adoptive forfeitures are appropriate, as is sharing with our partners. Now, by the way, who are the partners? Who are partners in asset forfeiture? You're the government. Okay, so uh, so you're saying that you're going to share with your partners. So on a governmental level, on a federal lever, level, you want to take a lot more of people's money. You want to really crack down and take all of people's possessions away before there's any evidence and then not give it back, which is what happens, by the way. And you want to share that with your partners. What a nice guy. I mean... God damn. Thanks, Jeff. What a sweetheart. I, how do I sign up to get some of that forfeiture money? I'm sure, that's handing out on street corners. Now, now, asset forfeiture has been long been a pet peeve of mine. Um, we've seen a lot more states push back against it. After, especially after this Washington Post piece, which, by the way, I'm going to give around to the Washington Post. Apparently, in 2014, they weren't as terrible as a paper um, because there's a story coming up that's going to knock your socks off. But the Washington Post did an investigative series that found that warrantless police seizures of cash through the equitable sharing program since 9-11 have hauled in $2.5 billion. $2.5 billion since 2014. And again, this is money that's associated with quote-unquote crimes, most of which were never proven. It's just that they think you committed a crime, so they freeze and seize. And then it's up to you as an individual to go to court and try to get your money back. And you know what happens a lot of the time when you try to do that? The government makes you a deal. And they say, okay, well, you know what? You don't want to go to court and spend all your money. So we'll make you a deal and we'll give you half your money back and we'll keep half. And then, you know, you'll probably make out in the end because you don't have to pay court fees. I mean, it is just crazy. It is a racket. Excuse me. So Jeff Sessions, by the way. So this is what he's doing. And now, like I said, a lot of states have, have rolled this back. A lot of states have already seen that this is a unbelievably immoral and unconstitutional practice. This is search and seizure. This is like against the Fourth Amendment. Unbelievable. But Jeff Sessions doesn't seem to want to acknowledge that. 24 states have rolled this back so far, including Arizona, Minnesota recently, basically saying that they have to have a conviction of a crime in order to keep that money. So good job to those local legislators. They're doing their job. But again, Jeff Sessions could give zero shits about the way that the world is moving. This is exactly like with marijuana, where you've got all of these states and all of these cities and the mass amount of the populace, over 60% of the American populace says decriminalize and legalize marijuana. At very minimum, medical marijuana. And you still have Jeff Sessions saying that only only bad people smoke pot and that it doesn't have scientific value in the face of all the data and that he's going to go out of his way to continue to prosecute on a federal level these drug crimes. I mean, what, where is Jeff Sessions? Where, where, does his brain live in a different time than the rest of our brains is he quantum leaping us here? Is he, is he back? Is that motherfucker baculing us? Stop baculing. Get out of Jeff Sessions' body and stop messing around, you crazy quantum leaper, you. Oh, I swear to God. He, Jeff Sessions, it's just like he, he cannot get out of the time frame that he is stuck in. Actually, I want to play you guys a, a, a little bit of his speech. Hold on one second. Remember making toast in a gizmo like this? Maybe you remember Grandma toasting homemade raisin bread loaded with plump raisins, swirled with cinnamon, that sweet aroma wafting through the kitchen. Hepbridge Farm remembers they're making raisin bread like Grandma made. No artificial preservatives. I, 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 I am so sorry, guys. I uh, When I pulled this audio earlier today, I could have sworn that was Jeff Sessions giving his speech, but uh, shit. Easy mistake to make. Because clearly Jeff Sessions remembers a simpler time <laughs> back when uh, 
All the evils in the world were just black and white, man. It was a simpler time. Jeff Sessions remembers. And he's legislating like it still is that time. All right. I promised you that we were going to get around to this Washington Post story. But before that, I do want to say, I want to ask, I want to pose a question. Has capitalism gone too far? And I have to ask that because I saw a product today. This has nothing to do with liberty. I just thought I'd bring it up because it's funny. I got to break it up. You know, this show's been bringing me down. So I want to break it up with a, a little bit of an entertaining anecdote. I saw today that Walmart has pickles that are fruit juice. They're not fruit juice. Fruit punch infused. Like they're just soaking in fruit punch. Kind of like a Kool-Aid-y thing. And I guess this is a thing that's around. But I mean, my God, if you look at this, <laughs> you look at this jar. Right, you're thinking about what pickles look like and the context, the texture of the pickle, and I can't, but I can't help but think just how disgusting this concept is. I mean, seriously, it's like, is it? Hey, here's the pitch for this. They're called tropicals, tropicals, fruit punch flavored pickles for when you want a sweet skinned dick but can't be bothered to go out and castrate someone. Tropicals at your Walmart. I mean, seriously, that is disgusting. Just ah. Bleh, bleh. All right, moving on. Let's talk about this Washington Post article. That'll wrap the show today. I am uh, once again soaked in sweat. I need to find a different way to record in a different room in my house. So Washington Post, again, a paper which I used to respect back in the Woodward and Bernstein days and now have become completely disgusted with to the point where I think it's actually an unreadable rag. Uh, I mean, talk, they are the CNN of print publications at this point. It's uh, It's honestly disgraceful. But... They have a columnist, and she's a regular columnist for the paper, by the way, not just like once in a while. No, she's got a column called Role Reboot, and it's a feminist named Jody Allard. Now, Jody Allard, I really saw, got called out by the Daily Wire, and for good reason. Because this woman, she's a feminist mother of two. She's got two boys, and uh, no father in the picture as far as I'm aware of. But she's got two boys. And basically, what has happened is that they've reached the age, they're both teens, or at least the older one's a teen. And they've reached the point where, you know what? We've got phones, we've got cell phones, we've got computers, we've got laptops, we have every single way to get information in this day and age, especially on social media. And guess what? Her son's friends, their parents, their teachers, they all know who he is. They know who this kid's mom is or these kids' mom is. And they now talk about what she writes. And what she writes about these kids is pretty horrific. Uh, essentially, what this woman says is that, uh, I mean, uh, to paraphrase, they're sexist because society, and she thinks that they are would-be rapists and she can't trust them. This is what she's writing about her own children in the Washington Post. Let me quote from this Daily, Daily Wire article. Feminist writer Jody Allard has a habit of shaming her two sons, one of whom she says is suicidal for simply disagreeing with her, or worse, for simply being male. Last week, writing in Roll Reboot, the mother of two yet again relentlessly shamed her sons for their biology and then topped herself off by explaining that they are, like every other man, quote, not safe, end quote. So, again, this woman has a Washington Post article wherein... She writes about her teenage sons being not safe, being potential rapists, and being scared of them. Because, again, why? Simply because they're men. Now, I read a little bit of these essays, and uh, Washington Post has th- has now stopped me from reading their articles. Because I, I, I uh, click just to see what these crazy stories are half the time. And they've got a paywall up and I refuse to pay. So <laughs> I'm not going to read it. But I, there were some quotes and some excerpts that I was able to uh, to see from this story. And uh, some, of the, some of the little bits I was able to read before the paywall went up were things that include that her two boys are, quote, immune to rape culture, apparently. That was the title of her article, which gave me pause because I don't understand how you can be immune to rape culture as two boys that are raised by a feminist mother growing up in an overbearing feminist household uh, and being indoctrinated into the cult of feminism by this woman. 
I mean, really, where are they going to turn? I'm sure she's not subtle about it. I'm sure it's not like give them a kiss on the forehead and whisper, hey, women have value into their ears before they go to sleep. I'm sure it's an ongoing constant barrage against them and telling them in every shape and form how they suck, why men suck, why women are, are devalued, why women should be this, why women deserve that. And meanwhile, you know what? Shockingly, what do you think happened? Oh, wow. Her son started to look for other news sources and started to look for other places online where he would feel as though he had value because his mother, the woman who's supposed to take care of him, nurture him, she's been degrading this kid to his face and in print his entire life. But no, no, she's upset because here's what she says. After she wrote this essay about uh, them being immune to rape culture and how she's she's not comfortable being in relationships with even her own sons. Quote, my essay went semi-viral. And for the first time, my sons encountered my words about them on their friends' phones, their teachers' computers, and even overheard them discussed by strangers on a crowded metro bus. It was one thing to agree to be written about in relative obscurity. But quite another thing to have my words intrude on their daily lives, she explains. And by the way, I love how the kids are like, hey, do you care if I write about you kids? I mean, I'm sure. What are the kids going to say? No. They trust their mother like idiots. You idiots. Don't trust your mom. What are you, stupid? So they trust their mother only to be stabbed in the back. And I'm sure these kids have been reading far more than the one time her article went viral. Uh, You're in the Washington Post. Are you kidding me? Millions of people read it. Millions of people share it. Who are you kidding? So, yeah. Oh, yes. Now, I'm, I'm sure they are pretty upset when you write these horrible things about them and they find out about them because everybody knows. So here's what she says, too. Right on. Right. This, this part's fantastic. And I bolded some of it because it's extra super good. One of my sons was hurt by my words, although he's never told me so. He doesn't understand why I lumped him and his brother together in my essay. He seems himself as the good one. The one who is sensitive and thoughtful and who listens instead of reacts. And here, the rest of this is all bolded. He doesn't understand that even quiet misogyny is misogyny. (laughs) And that not all sexists sound like Twitter trolls. He is angry at me now, though he won't admit that either. And his anger led him to conservative websites and YouTube channels. Places where he can surround himself with righteous indignation against feminists and tell himself, It's ungrateful women like me who are the problem. You know what? He's right. You are the problem. How? I mean, this is, okay. Sorry. Before I go off on my my ending rant here, I've got one more quote from her. And again, I can't read enough of this woman's drivel because it is just, I mean, it is like you can't, you couldn't create, it's almost as though somebody created an imaginary caricature of a feminist to mock. That's what this woman is. I mean, I may, I may go through the paywall of the Washington Post just to read this because it is almost satire. It is satire of itself. This woman has so little self-awareness that she is self-satirizing without knowing it. So to finish up, it pains me to say that I don't feel emotionally safe with men or her sons. And perhaps never have with a man. But it needs to be said because far too often we're afraid to say it. This is not a reflection of something broken or damaged in me. It's a reflection of the systems we build and our boys absorb. Those little boys grow into men who know the value of women. The value that's been ascribed to us by a broken system. And it seeps out of them in a million tiny toxic ways. So she's saying her little kids are seeping toxic masculinity at her all the time because society's told him so. Never mind that we live now in a society that is more liberal than ever, that we're living in a society that is more women-friendly than ever, ever. That you're constantly, from every side, you're constantly barraged by a pro feminist angle no matter what you do and if people like Lacey Green or the woman who did the Red Pill documentary have the gall to say hold on there's another angle to this there's another side that's not really fair and being underrepresented then they are torn to shreds you're not allowed to to even think to go against the narrative and this woman contends that her kids raised by a crazy feminist mother are absorbing and seeping 
toxic manhood in a million little ways and it's destroying her and she can't trust her own sons holy shit help me i can't love my children because i project my own warped worldview on them and i've in turn ruined them i mean god this is a self-fulfilling prophecy this chick's putting in place seriously you talk about the guys who are going to grow up to be murder rapists. These are who are going to grow up to do that. They are Norman Bates. They have been raised by an insane person to hate women because their entire childhood, they will have been told that they are garbage, that they are demons, that they are evil and wrong because they were born with a dick. Get me Alfred Hitchcock on the phone, somebody, because I got me a million-dollar idea. That will do it for today, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here on Electric Liberty Land, guys. And by the way, we did an awesome, awesome show with Dave Smith, a part of the problem. I'm sure a lot of you guys are familiar with him. If you're not, Dave is a stand-up comic. He's got a great special coming out soon called Libertas. And uh, he has a fantastic podcast. Really, I mean, the guy knows his stuff, and he is able to communicate really well. Like, he breaks it down in a way that you can really understand. He's got a great grasp of the issues and is passionate about libertarianism. So we did a Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor, one of our uh, favorites, where in— I'm not going to lie. I got really drunk during it. But we did a great show with him. So check that out. That was Monday's show this week. And we did a bonus for our Pride members, wherein we did some special Q&A from our forum members and some of the members from our Pride uh, for about another 20 minutes with Dave, which is a lot of fun. So, guys, check that out. Again, remember to join the Pride. And remember, we do have Electric Liberty Land t-shirts now. Awesome. They're from Dan Smots, our favorite designer and our friend in podcasting from the System is Down podcast. Check those out at lionsofliberty.store, guys. They are the Campbell's tits. And don't forget to follow us on social media, me at Brian McWilliams, at Lions of Liberty. Please uh, give us an iTunes review, guys. Very important. And we're doing a giveaway right now. Yes, Johnny Rocket and the Johnny Rocket Pod, they have got the Liberty Force comic books. And we've got some copies, folks. So we're giving those out to people. We're going to do a drawing from people that give us an iTunes review, share the podcast, help us grow this show. So, guys, please do share the show. All right. Peace out, yo. From me, Brian McWilliams, from uh, Lions of Liberty, from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged in to liberty.